Okay. All right, so first of all, just uh, again, like my wife said, a big thank you to the Malones for opening up their home, really. Um, again, like, I, like I always say, when you open up your home for Torah and mitzvahs and feeding Jewish people, it only, it only brings Shefa Bracha Natzlach into the home. So they should be blessed. And, and uh, I don't know where, which one Mrs. Malone is, but uh, <laughs> Avi's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not someone necessarily like deserves or demands or, you know, commands a huge amount of COVID, but Avi is like so respect, he's so respectful, you know, and he's just always positive and happy and like, what can I do for the Rav, what can I, you know, he's always just very, very, he's just a great guy, he's a great guy, so you should have nachas from him, and nachas from the little one, and uh, nachas from all of us, we shall have nachas from each other. All right, so as my wife mentioned, it's Rishchai Deshvat, it's Rishchai Deshvat, so, you know, this month, this month is, uh, for sure. And it's also related to, to trees, to Paris, to Paris, right? The human being is compared to a tree. We know that this month, the holiday of the month is Tu B'Shvat, right? Every month has something. So Tu B'Shvat is the, the holiday of Shvat, which is about the Rosh Hashanah, the, uh, you know, the renewal of the trees. And the human being is compared to a tree. Ki Adam Eitzah person's like a tree, right? Uh, the famous song, it's from a Gemara, Ilan Ilan right? That a person is, the biggest blessing a person can have is that their parents, their, their production, their offspring, and so on, is as blessed as they are and continue that blessing to go forward. So the month of Shvat is all about this idea of, of giving over to the next generation, giving over to our friends, giving over to our family, to be a good, healthy tree with good parents. You know, that's what Shvat is about. So, listen, it's always, uh, you know, I, I like talking about theoretical ideas, you know, when it gets down to, like, you know, actual, like, chinuch tips and things like that. Uh, my wife, uh, I don't know if she'll be the first one to tell you, but, you know, in front of my wife, it's, you know, uh, I can't say I'm the biggest expert in chinuch, but, you know, sometimes it's easier to talk about other people's kids than yours, so I can talk about your kids, you know. So we'll, maybe we'll talk about an idea shvat, and we'll see maybe a lesson that we can glean from that in terms of, raising children, and I know that part of this is to get away from, like, thinking about our kids, you know, so I get it, I want to bring you back to that, you know, to that, uh, to that place, but it's about children, it's about raising your husbands, you know, it's about uh, raising yourself, it's about raising, it's about living a life, that's really what it is, like, everything in Yiddishkeit, there's nothing that's truly, like, in its own little corner, everything is interconnected. So let's see what we can, what we can learn from Shvat, and, uh, and see how we can grow as trees from Shvat. Okay, so a few questions. A few questions first. You know, there's, um, you know, something that we do throughout the day so many times, so many times, is to say brachas. We say brachas. Say brachas on food. Say brachas on davening. You give each other brachas. And so brachas is something that we're, we're, we're accustomed to, we're used to. But what's interesting is, is that there's a certain response that we give when you hear bracha. What's the response? You say amen, right? Like, what, what is amen? What, what is that? What is that? What does Amen mean? It's a very strange word. It's hard to even translate. So the word Amen has its roots. It comes from the word Amuna or Emes. So when you say Amen, let's say, for example, someone says a Shahakal, right? And you say Amen, what you're saying is that what you just said, that the Rabbani Shalom Shahakal Nibdavarai, that the Rabbani Shalom, everything comes from him, I agree. I believe in that too. That's what Amen means. Fine. So that makes sense. That response of Amen makes sense when you're talking about a bracha that someone made on food, uh, 
you know, uh, you know, whatever the bracha might be, uh, you know, Hadlik Nershal Shabbos Kaidish, whatever it is. I also believe that the Rabbanu Shalom gave us the mitzvah of, of Shabbos candles, whatever the, that's, an, that's a response that makes sense. The problem is, is that what happens when a person gives you a bracha that you should have a good day? Amen. What are you saying with that? I believe that you believe that I should have a good day? Like, I believe that I will have a good day? What, is, what does Amen mean when you're responding to something that, that someone is blessing you with? What does Amen mean? And what's also interesting is that the word Amen, Aleph Mem Nun, equals Bigmachia 91. Aleph Mem Nun is 91, which is also the same Gemachia as the word Elon, the tree. And this is something that's, that's brought down by the Tzaddikim and the Svarim, that that's not a coincidence. Elon and Amen are the same Gemachia. There's also another uh, combination of words that's the same Gemachia as 91, which is two names of Hashem, Yud Kevavke and Aleph Dalet Nun Yud. We know that when you have in Chumash or in a Siddur, you get to that name, the, the essential name of Hashem, Yud Kevavke, we don't say that, right? We have a replacement for it, which is Adnai, right? Aleph Dalet Nun Yud. The gemach, so when you say Aleph Dalet Nun Yud, you're saying Aleph Dalet Nun Yud, right? But in your mind, what you're really trying to say is Yud Kevavke, you just don't say it. The combination, the gematria of Yudke Vavke plus Alf Dal Nun Yud is 91. So Yudke Vavke in Adnai is 91, Elon is 91, Amin is 91. So what's the, what's the story behind this? That's number one. Okay, number two. <clears throat> a little bit more of a technical question, and then we'll begin to talk, okay? So it's like this. We know that, you know, I can mention Tubishvat, right? So the Mishnah says in Rosh Hashanah, it's, one of, it's the first Mishnah in, uh, in the Masech of Rosh Hashanah, that it talks about that there are many Rosh Hashanahs throughout the year, right? There's Rosh Hashanah for people, that's uh, Tishrei, right? And then you have Rosh Hashanah for different occasions. So we know the Rosh Hashanah for trees is Tubishvat, Tubishvat. In other words, and that's, uh, it has to do with halacha, when it comes to taking off shumas and maizus or fruit, so you have to know what year fruit this is. Because you can't take off, you know, every, every crop needs its own shumas and maizus. So how do I know what the cutoff point is of what year, what year this apple is from? So Tubishvat is the cutoff point. Right, if something grew before Tubishvat, it's from last year. If it grew from after Tubishvat, it's the following year. Tubishvat's the cutoff point. Right. Why is that? So what, what happens on Tubishvat? So the Gemara says that Tubishvat is the day where the tree begins to, with the energy that the tree is going to need in order to produce the year's fruit begins to concentrate. Begins to concentrate in the tree, and the tree is now able to you know, have the strength to produce the coming year's crop. That's Tubishvat. And that's why Tubishvat is the beginning of the new year in terms of fruit, because that's when the tree really gets its uh, energy all together for the next year. Fine. Now the truth is, again, that's Tubishvat. But the truth is, if you take a look at the Mishnah over there, it's not so simple that it's actually Tubishvat. It's in fact, the Machlag is a disagreement between Beishamai and Beishil. Beishil is one that says it's Tubishvat. Beishamai says that it's Rishchodeshvat. It's Rishchodeshvat. Now we know that whenever there's a disagreement between Beishamai and Beishil, the halacha always follows Beishil. So, to such a degree that we almost, we almost ignore Beishamai in terms of halacha. It's always Beishelo. That's the classic thing. The one exception to that, I mean, there's a few exceptions, but the one interesting exception to that is this, this topic of Tubishvat. Although we hold like Beishelo, which means that in the halachas of taking off trumas and maizus or fruit, Tubishvat's a cutoff point. That's Beishelo. But 
it is brought down, there is a tradition, that despite the fact that we paskin, we hold like Basil that it's Tu B'Shvat, but we do give some significance to Rishchod Shvat as also being Rosh Hashanah for trees. So much so that there were many tzaddikim that had the custom of having a Tu B'Shvat Suda on Rishchod Shvat too, because that's what Bishamay says, it's the Rosh Hashanah for trees. The truth is, even in the language of the Mishnah, it kind of sounds like this, because the usual, whenever the Mishnah talks, it usually has the following formula. When it, I'll put it this way, like, if the Mishnah would speak like in a normal way, it would say like this, when is Rosh Hashanah for trees? Beishamay says, Rosh Chodeshvat. Beisil says, Tu That's the normal way to say it. You ask the question, and these are the different opinions. And we would know, you go like Beisil. That's classic. That's not how the Mishnah says it. The Mishnah says, Rosh Chodesh Shvat is Rosh Hashanah for trees, as Beis Shammai says. Beis Hill says, though, it's Tu B'Shvat. You see how the Mishnah said it differently, right? It didn't just say question, and these are the two opinions, and you pick which side you're on. It said, Rosh Hashanah for trees is Rosh Chodesh Shvat like Beis Shammai. Beis Hill says, though, it's Tu B'Shvat. Indicating that although we go with Beis Hill, don't, don't, uh, don't put Beishamek to the, to the side over here. This, take it seriously. That Rosh Chodesh is also uh, connected to Tu B'Shvat as well. So the question is why? What is it about the, the, the holiday of Tu B'Shvat that seems to be connected to Rosh Chodesh? Right? Because even though we hold like Beis Hillel, that, it's, that Tu B'Shvat is Rosh Hashanah for trees, but we do want to connect it to Rosh Chodesh Shvat. There's something about Rosh Chodesh that's also Tu B'Shvati. That's also to Bishvati. To, to such a degree that on Rosh Chodesh Shvat we'll, we'll, we'll like sort of recognize Beishamai. So the question is why? What is that? What, is, what does Rosh Chodesh have to do with to Bishvat? You follow? Okay. So let's talk about Rosh Chodesh for a second. Just general Rosh Chodesh. You know, so one of the things that we do on special occasions, sorry, Rosh Chodesh is a special day. It's like a holiday. So one of the things that we do on holidays is that we say halal. We say halal. So... The truth is, the source of saying halal from the Torah is, in fact, uh, it's, it's next week's parsha. When the Jewish people leave Mitzrayim, so the pasuk parsha is b'shalach shab b'shira. There's, there's a whole song. The Jewish people sang to Hashem az yashir. The Gemara says that's the source of saying halal. Something amazing happens, a special occasion. They sing to Hashem. We left Mitzrayim. It's a big deal. So we sang a song to Hashem uh, az yashir. So that's what we say halal on special occasions. So we say halal on Yontif. We say halal on even rabbinic Yom Tovim, Hanukkah, and so on. And we say halal on, on Rosh Chodesh too. It's a special day. But the thing is like this. Here's the interesting point. The halal that we say on every yontif is strict halacha. You have to say halal. It's halacha. Maybe if it's biblical, maybe it's rabbinic. But you have to say halal. It's a real chiv. Rosh Chodesh to say halal is not biblical. It's not rabbinic. It's only a custom. It's only a custom. And the source of this custom is the following story in the Gemara. The Gemara says the following story, that Rav, Rav is one of the great, great Amaroyim, the great Talmid Chacham of the Gemara. All of, all of Halacha, you know, there's, there's a few personalities that are sort of the foundation of all of Halacha that we have. Rav is one of them. He's called Rav out of just respect. He wasn't, that, that wasn't his actual name. Rav means uh, master. So his name was Abba, Rabbi Abba. He was in fact, just by the way, a little bit interesting on the side, he was, he was someone that, uh, he was from Eretz Yisrael originally. He eventually moved to Babylonia, to Bavil, and set up yeshivas over there. And really, you know, all of Talmud Bavli flourished because of him. He was originally, he was very, very old. He was actually originally a student of Rabshim Shem Not just 
any student, the Zayar Kaddish, Rabbi Baruchai taught the Zayar. Rabbi Abba, the student of Rabbi Baruchai, was the one that was that was tasked with writing the Zayar. So in the Zayar Kaddish, there's this person, Rabbi Abba, and and the tradition is that that was Rav. It was just you know in Eretz Yisrael when he was young, he was a student of Rabbi Baruchai. He got older, he moved to Babylonia, and he was known as Rav. This is Rav. So the Gemara says like this the following story: When Kisha Yorad Rav Lubavel. The Gemara says when Rav moved to Bavel, he it was Rosh Chodesh. Happens to use the, it was Rosh Chodesh, and he goes to Shul, and they're davening, you know, Shachris uh, Shmonesri and so on. And then all of a sudden the Chazan starts saying Hal, and Rav and Rav is thinking he never saw such a thing to say Hal in Rosh Chodesh. He never he never heard of such a thing. In Eretz Yisrael there was never such a custom. So he the Gemara says that he's about to go to the bima to to give a clap. Like what are you what are you doing? But then he noticed the Medalgi Dilugi. That they're saying halal, but they're skipping a couple paragraphs. Because that's what you do on Rosh Chodesh. You say halal, but you don't say the full halal. Right? You skip a little bit. So once he saw, says the Gemara, that, that they're skipping, so he said, okay, this must be just a custom. That, that's why they're not saying the full thing, because it's only a custom. And it must be a custom that's coming from Chutz Laaretz. So fine. So he's not going to say anything. And that's where the custom develops. So much so to nowadays. So everyone says, even in Eretz Yisrael. So you have an interesting thing. So there's three interesting points. First of all, that number one, Hala on Rosh Chodesh is a custom. Think about why. Why is that? It's also a special day, no? Hanukkah is a special day. Yom T- Rosh Chodesh is a special day. Why is there no obligation from the Torah to say Hala on Rosh Chodesh? That's number one. Why is, why is it only a custom? Number one. Number two, it's interesting that it originated in Chutzlarts. It's interesting. Okay. Number three... What, why is it that because it's a custom, that's what the Gemara seems to indicate, that we don't say the full, we skip? If we're, if, listen, either way, you want to make it a legitimate custom to say hal, then say hal. You don't say hal, don't say hal. What's this thing of saying hal that's skipping around? Needs explanation. And also, by the way, it's very much related to women, right? Because we know there's such a custom, it's also a custom that's brought down, that women don't do malacha, or serious work, if they can, to do malacha on Rishchidesh. So you see that Rishchidesh is something related to women as well. So we have to figure this out. Okay. Those are all the questions. You don't have to remember them. Okay. So it's like this. What's the Indian of saying hal? Which again, like I said, and the source of saying hal goes back to Az Yashir, when the Jewish people sang a song to, uh, you know, as a response to Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim. So the thing is like this. One of the great tzaddikim, one of the great Hasidic masters was Rav Tzaddik Akain of Lublin. Rav Tzaddik, he lived, uh, he lived in, you know, Late 1800s, he, he was nifter in the year 1900 exactly. So, uh, he was a very, very chasha person, genius of geniuses. So Rabbi Tzaddik writes the following thing. He says the definition of song and the situation that obligates the Jewish people to sing a song to Hashem is two words. He says hakaras hanoichach, which means in English the recognition of the one that's in front of you. In other words. Says Ratzadik, the Jewish people don't just sing songs because we're in a good mood. The concept of us singing a song to Hashem is a response to when God reveals Himself to us to some degree. When there's a revelation, when there's a recognition of the one that's in front of you, then you respond with Hal. And the source of this, like I said, the first song the Jewish people sang is by Yosha. And what happened over there wasn't just to celebrate the Exodus, it was that moment, it was a moment of revelation. Chazal say that, that every single Jew saw visions by Yamsuf, like even prophets wouldn't see. 
It was unbelievable. It was an unbelievable revelation of Hashem's presence. And so that's a situation where you have to say halal. Says Ratzadik, that's why, by the way, we say halal on Yontif. It's not that we're saying halal, let's say on Pesach, right? We're not saying halal on Pesach because, you know, back in the day something good happened, so it makes it a, you know, so we're just going to sing in celebration of that. No, 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 no. Every single Pesach, on some level, the soul of the Jewish people, it might not be as open as it was the first Pesach, but on some level, the soul of the Jewish people experiences a divine revelation. The Rabbani Shalom is a little bit more open to us in our lives during the holidays. And because of that revelation, that openness, that vision, so to speak, that the soul experiences, which started by that original Pesach, but anything that happened, it reverberates throughout time, right? So if that original Pesach God, you know, sort of took off the veil and revealed himself to us, so every year there's a renewal of that. And every single Pesach, the soul experiences some level of divine revelation of recognizing God's presence in, their li- in the life. And because of that, we respond with halal. Okay. Every yontif has that quality. Every yontif is a reemergence of some revelation of Hashem's presence that happened a long time ago, right? So like I said, Pesach Hashem revealed himself, and every single year we're carrying that forward. There's a little bit of a taste of that that reverberates through time. Shavuos, Sukkot, it's all like that. But there's one holiday, there's one special occasion, Hanukkah and so on, there's one holiday that the revelation of the Rabbanu presence has not happened yet. And that is Rish Chodesh. What is Rosh Chodesh celebrating? Ratzalik says a Chiddush, that Rosh Chodesh is not celebrating anything that has happened yet. Rosh Chodesh we know is revolving on the moon, right? The moon, not much to celebrate. The moon is diminished, right? We know that Hashem created the world, right? The sun and the moon were supposed to be partners and, and as big as each other, but the moon complained and so on and it became diminished. So Rosh Chodesh is about the renewal of the moon. The moon is not a symbol of divine revelation. The moon is a symbol of things going wrong. The moon is a symbol of exile. The moon is a symbol of things that are not perfect. So Rish Chodesh has not been a day in history until this point where there's been divine revelation that should obligate a halal and we should continue with that. So what is the holiday of Rish Chodesh about? So it says something like this. Here's the idea. And it's a, it's a little bit of a mind-bending idea. It says Ratzadik, just as there's an idea that events in Jewish history reverberate forward in time. So for example, the first Pesach Hashem revealed Himself, and that phenomenon, it has a ripple effect going forward. Every Pesach, we feel a little bit of that. The soul feels a little bit of the ripple effect from that moment. You put a rock in a pond, right? The rings, it ripples out. So that moment in time, Pesach, Hashem took us out of Mitzrayim, Hashem opened up the doors and we saw Him, so to speak. So going forward, every Pesach, the soul you know, feels a little bit of a reverberation of that experience. Says Ratzadik, just as that's true in the past, that a moment in time in the past reverberates forward, so too, says Ratzadik, a moment in the future reverberates backwards in time as well. If something that has yet, ha- has yet to come, that has not happened yet, but it will happen, a very, very sensitive Jewish soul is able to pick up on the reverberations of that experience that has not happened yet. Just like when you put a rock in a pond and the rings extend in all directions. So, so too, a moment, an, an experience that happens, it reverberates forward in time, and it also reverberates backwards in time. There's many examples of this. For example, um, 
Lot. Lot was saved. Right? We know the whole story with Sodom, right? Sodom was going to be destroyed. Lot was saved. Why was Lot saved? He was not such a good guy. So Chazal say, because out of Lot was going to be Dovr HaMelech. And in the merit of Dovr HaMelech, Lot was saved. One second. Uh, Dovr HaMelech didn't happen yet. Dovr HaMelech wasn't even a dream. He wasn't even a thought. He wasn't even a concept yet. Certainly, him, him as a person wasn't, wasn't uh, in, in the world yet. And, and the, the, the mice and toivim, the good deeds, the merit of David, it certainly doesn't exist yet. So what's going on? That light is able to harness the merit of David who has yet to come? Or there's another situation. Chazal say that Avram Avinu, Avram Avinu is, uh, you know, uh, 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 Avram Avinu is fighting the four kings and the five kings, and he gets to a certain spot, the city of Ai, that was the name of the place that he got to, the city of Ai. And at that moment, he, fa- he felt himself weak and he wasn't able to continue on fighting the four kings. Why? So the Gemara says, because centuries, centuries later, in the city of Ai, the Jewish people will commit a sin in the city of Ai. It's a whole story in the Sefer Yeshua. And because of a sin that's going to happen later on in the city of Ai, Avram Avinu feels weakened. There's no Jewish people yet. The city of Ai isn't around even. It's just that spot. That's what we're talking about. Dovin Melch didn't happen yet, that's on a positive side. And, this, and the Avera of I didn't take place yet. Says Rat Sadiq, we see this principle. That even though there's such a thing as free will, and this is obviously getting into a philosoph- difficult philosophical topic, but there's such a thing as free will, which means that you get to choose what, you, what you're going to do. And if something didn't happen yet, it means that it might not happen. Free will is true, but there's also such a thing that God is above time. And God was, is, and always will be. So there is a way that God looks at things from a higher perspective, and he, sa- and he says, it's true that Dovr Melch didn't come yet, but I know Dovr Melch is coming. And from God's perspective, from that place of past, present, and future, all one from God's place, the distant future is as real as the present or the past. Therefore, it says it's something, we have this phenomenon, Dovr didn't happen yet, but, the f- but Dovr Melch will happen. And because of that, his Kedusha reverberates even backwards in time. And the same thing, God forbid, with the sin. The city of Ai, wasn't, there's no city there even. And there's certainly no Jewish people, there's certainly no sin yet, but God knows it will be, and to a certain extent, it means it happened already. And if it happened already, it reverberates backwards in time as well. What is Rosh Chodesh's celebration of? Says Rosh Chodesh is not a celebration of a revelation of Hashem's presence that has happened. Rosh Chodesh is the only yontif that we actually celebrate to whatever degree because of a revelation that will happen with the coming of Mashiach. The, we know that David Melech and Malchus based David, the kingdom of David Melech and Mashiach, is also related to the moon. The Gemara says a story that during the times of the Romans, when they made uh, Rosh Chodesh, it was one of the things that they forbade, that you can't celebrate Rosh Chodesh. So the Jewish people had to come up with a code word of how to sort of spread the message secretly that it's Rosh Chodesh without saying it, because then they'll get in trouble. The code word was David Melech Yisrael Chayvakayim. That was the code word. And you would whisper it to each other, spread in the shuls, the guy would get up, clap, that was the way the Jewish people knew it's Rosh Chodesh. What is Dovr Melech? Dovr means Mashiach, it means Gul, it means redemption. That has not happened yet. But the Jewish people are able to pick up on the reverberating light of redemption even before it happened. And this is the greatness of Rosh Chodesh. The greatness of Rosh Chodesh is, is that there's a part of the Jewish soul that's so intuitive, that's so, that's so sensitive to God, that it's able to pick up on His presence, even if it's something that only will show itself in the future. 
It doesn't take a big chacham to learn something in the past and to learn from that. And to see the past as something that sort of, sort of uh, you know, uh, uh, repeats itself. That it doesn't take such wisdom for that. But real chachma comes from being able to what? To see a distant future, and the present is the exact opposite of that distant future, and to say, no, 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 that distant future is real. It's 100% real. It's, to me, it's as if it, always, it, it already happened, and I'm going to celebrate accordingly. And I'm going to navigate my present based on how my present is affected by the future, which I know already happened. That's Rosh Chodesh. Therefore, Rosh Chodesh, the halal of Rosh Chodesh, when we say halal Rosh Chodesh, what you're singing about is Gula, is redemption, is Mashiach. I, Mashiach, isn't here yet. The Jewish soul feels, on the deepest of levels, the residual, the, 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 the ripple effect of redemption from it being in the moment in the future. And this is why halal Rosh Chodesh is not a mitzvah, it's not obligatory. Because God can't tell you this. You see what I'm saying? If God tells you something, it means it has to be in front of you. Even the rabbis can't tell you to do it. It has to be intuitive. It has to be intuitive, because it doesn't make any sense. Like, in other words, it, it doesn't make any sense how a future event, which, knowing that there's such a thing as free will, it doesn't make sense that you could be so confident in a future event to the degree as if it happened. It doesn't make any sense. It's not a logical thing. The answer is, you're right, it's not a logical thing, and that's why the Torah can't obligate it. And even the rabbis can't obligate it because the system that Torah deals with and Torah functions through and the rabbis function through is a system of logic, is a system of, of structure, of past, present, future. And you can't, you can't go backwards and you can't go forward. It is what it is. That's the system that halacha deals with. But there is such a thing as intuition. There is such a thing as, pro- as prophecy that's deep down in the Jewish soul. There is a part of the Jewish soul that transcends logic, that transcends the, the boundaries of limited time. And it's not something that can even be explained. It's something that the Jewish people have to just sort of wink to each other and say, we understand what we're doing. And that's why Hal and Rosh Chodesh could only be a custom. God can't tell you to do it because it doesn't make sense. And the rabbis can't tell you to do it because it doesn't make sense. But the Jewish people collectively have to look at each other and say, even though it doesn't make sense, we feel, we know, we believe 100% in redemption to such a degree that it's as real to us as Yitzhiz Mitzrayim. It's as real to us as a revelation that already happened. And that's something that, that, is, that is Jewish custom. This is why Rosh Chodesh is related to what? To Jewish women. Why? Because we know that men are blessed with their blessings and women are blessed with their blessings. One of the blessings that women have is what? Is Bini Yisera. What does Bini Yisera mean? It means a good intuition. It means that you see something that... Lo- there's nothing indicating... There's nothing... There's nothing that logic can, can show you, you know, about this particular idea. It's an intuition. It's something that you're picking up on, maybe because of just a, a reality of the future that you can't explain. That's what Bini Yisera is. This is a kayak of women. This is why David HaMelech, David HaMelech, as I said, is the fir- it's interesting, in all of Tanakh, the first place that we even find a reference to a Sudas Rosh is by David HaMelech. Is when David Melech is when Shaul Melech, right? The whole story with, with King Saul and David, that Shaul Melech is feeling threatened by David. So it says in Pasik that there was a Sudas Rishchodesh, and that's a, that was a moment during that meal that uh, the relationships kind of fell apart. But that that Indian, Shaul Melech, there's a little bit on the side, but Shaul Melech represents logic and structure and system. David Melech, 
Dover Melech is the, is, the, is, is the singer. Dover Melech is the davener. To daven, it means that you have to hold two things at the same time. To daven for something, it means that you have to believe that it hasn't happened yet. That's why you're davening for it. But you also have to have the confidence in knowing that it does exist in the future. And I'm just trying to schlep it forward, you understand? Because if, 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 if you don't believe that your davening is answered, and if you don't believe that what you're davening for is, exists out there in redemption, then, then, then you're not going to be able to daven with all your heart. To daven with all your heart means that you believe whatever you're davening for already exists in Mashiach. And you're just trying to bring it. You're trying to draw it for it. You're not trying to, 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 to feel that reverberation coming backwards in time. That's what davening is. This is why, going back to the story in the Gemara, this is why this, the, the hal is a minig on Mishchadosh, as I said, because it's coming from an intuition. That's what customs are. Customs are, the Jewish people are not told what to do. Doesn't say, God didn't tell us not to eat Gebrax on Pesach, or not to eat the kidney, whatever the, the custom is. God didn't tell Jewish men to wear a yarmulke. The rabbis didn't either. The Jewish people just intuitively feel that this is a good idea. It's something that can't be explained. It's intuition. It's a being of Sarah. It's a feminine quality. Rishchodesh, Halam Rishchodesh is only a custom. And by the way, where did it originate? In Chutzlaretz, of all places. Of all places. See, Eretz Yisrael, you would think Eretz Yisrael, that's where God's presence is felt. Chutzlaretz in Bavel. Nah, that's exactly the point. Exactly the point. Davke there, specifically there, where it's the last place on earth that you would be able to think that you could pick up on Gula, that's exactly where intuition picks up on it. So it, the custom develops in Bavel. And this is why the custom is to say hal, but to skip paragraphs. You know why? If you have an idea that's, that, that can be explained intellectually, then you can give it over clearly and intellectually. There's a beginning, there's a middle and end. It should make sense. If you understand something clearly, then you should be able to give it over clearly. But if you have an intuition, if you have a sense, you have a feeling, ever try to explain that to someone? Ex- try to explain to someone that you have just a feeling in your gut. The very, the, very, the very term, a gut feeling, doesn't make any sense. My gut feels. Anytime you have a gut feeling and intuition, whenever you try to articulate, it always comes out jumbled. It always comes out jumbled because it's not coming from Seichel. It's coming from a place that's beyond Seichel. And so when you try to constrict it in intellect, it comes out muddled. When the Jewish people are saying Hal and Rosh Chodesh, it's an intuition. It's not a logical thing. It's an intuition. And because of that, it comes out jumbled. It comes out jumbled. We're skipping automatically this paragraph. So what are you doing? It's not, it's not, nor, it's not, it's not structured. The answer is exactly. Because Hal Rosh Chodesh is not coming from a place of Seichel. It's coming from intellect, from, from intuition. It's coming from that deep place. This is what is happening when you say Amen. Let's go back. When someone says a bracha to you, you should have a good day. Amen. I believe that. How could you believe that? Maybe you're not going to have a good day. It doesn't make sense to say Amen. But it's an intuition to say Amen. Because Amen means that when Mashiach comes, all my days are good. So my future is good days. All I'm trying to do is to, is to feel that reverberating back. That's all. Just trying to, 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 to hold on to that, to feel that, that goodness coming back to me. All good things that we experience in life is really just a reverberation of some of godliness from the past or godliness in the future. So it's all there. It's all there. We're just trying to make ourselves open to it. person says, you should have a good day. Shefa bracha v'atzlacha. Amen. I believe that, that, that there is shefa bracha v'atzlacha waiting for me. I'm Jewish. And God already, and there's such a thing as redemption, which will be. So, so it's, it's coming to me, good things. I'm just, 
I, I just want to feel it now. I want the reverberations to come. I want to be able to open myself up to it. Amen. This is why Amen is the same gematria as Yudke Vavke. Adnai. Why? What does Yudke Vavke mean? We don't say it. But what does Yudke Vavke mean? It means it's a combination of Haya, Haive, Yiya. Was, is, and will be. Yudke Vavke means the perspective of God, which is past, present, future. It's all the same, which means the distant future is as real as the present. Adnai means, Adnai means the, our master means our perspective, which is very linear. Past, present, future. You are what you are, and the future has yet to come, and it's up to you, Bechira. Amen is gemachi kevavke adnai. Because it means, despite the fact that I'm living in a world of Hashem is my master, which means my obligations, my free will, my choices, and from my perspective, from an intellectual perspective, I don't know what the future brings, but I also believe in Yud Kevavke. And because I believe in Yud Kevavke that the distant future, to a certain degree, already happened from that higher perspective, so I could say Amen. I could allow that future experience to reverberate in my life right now. And this is the inventory. What is Tubishvat? As I said, Tubishvat is when the, when, the, when, the, when the energy of the tree begins to concentrate to bring forward fruit. Which means that on Tubishvat we eat fruit, right? The fruit isn't, didn't happen yet. What happened on Tubishvat? What is the energy that's eventually going to produce fruit begins to concentrate, but the fruit's not here yet. Nah. The secret of Tubishvat is the fruit's already here. The fruit's already here. You don't see it yet. The, the, I, it's winter out there, there's no leaves on the trees. It's already there. You don't see it yet. Okay. You don't see it yet. But the distant future is real. That's Tubishvat. That's why it's so ironic, right? Celebrating the renewal of the trees. The trees are all dead out there. The answer is. That's how your eyes see it from the, the constricted place of Seichel. But the intuition, the intuition of Rosh Chodesh, tells you that I know the trees are going to bear fruit, which means that the fruit are already here to a certain degree. And I can already taste the sweetness of the fruit. This is, why, this is what a tree is. You see a tree, it's all about the production of the paris, and the paris are real already. By the concept, but once the tree prepares for the fruit, the fruits are already here. It's the distant future, but it reverberates backwards to now. This is why, going back, this is why Rosh Chodesh is so connected to Tu B'Shvat. The whole Yantav of Tu B'Shvat, to celebrate something that hasn't happened yet, to say that the trees are renewed, the trees are still dead. The whole idea of, 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 of something that has not happened yet, but celebrating as if it did happen, that's Rosh Chodesh. The whole end of Tu B'Shvat is Rosh Chodesh. So of all holidays, despite the fact that we don't hold like Beishamai, but on Rishcho, but but for when it comes to Tubishvat, certainly we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna connect to the Beishamai. Then because the whole Indian of Rishchodesh is related to Tubishvat. Again, what's Tubishvat? A celebration of fruit. The fruit there are a distant future. But that's the point of Tubishvat. What's a distant future? Already already has its roots in the present. It has its connection to the present, and the present is just reverberating backwards. And that's exactly where Rishchodesh is. What does this have to do with chinuch, right? And like I said, with children, with other people and so on. There's always two ways to look at someone. This is true with a little kid, it's true with yourselves, it's true with everyone. You can look at, you can look at a kid, he's just an eight-year-old kid, six-year-old kid, a 57-year-old kid, whatever, looking at someone. That's who they are. And, and, and there's ways to relate to just an eight-year-old. And there's relate, there are ways to relate to a, you know, a 57-year-old, a 35-year-old. There's ways to relate to that. But then there's another way to think of the person. 
The person, he's not an eight-year-old. This is an eight-year-old version of a big tzaddik. It's a big tzaddik. He's just eight years old right now. See the difference? He's a big tzaddik. He's a big tzaddikus. He's just 57 years old right now. And that changes everything. Does that mean that the eight-year-old future tzaddik is not allowed to play games? Only has to learn. He can't uh, hang out with friends of other not. Because even an eight-year-old version of a big tzaddik needs to have friends. It needs to be normal. It needs to be healthy. But there's a big difference, you know, when, when, uh, when you're relating to a kid and your aspirations for the kid is that he should be a good eight-year-old versus knowing that this is an unripened tzaddik yet or an unripened tzaddikus. That's a whole different picture. That's a whole different perspective. And there's a phenomenal sefer called Chavis HaTamidim. Right, uh, uh, students' obligation. It's called in English. It's written by um, by the Piyazetz and the Rabbi Deish Kaidesh. So the students' obligation is a is a is a handbook for the students. It was written for high school kids, you know, in, in pre-war Europe, Chassidish kids, pre-war Europe. And so in the introdu- he has an introduction to Machanchem, an introduction to the kid. And you know what he calls the kid in the introduction? He calls them. He, that's this is the term that he uses: unripened unripened fruits. In other words, who you're going to be, I believe that you're, that to us, I have an intuition that being Yisera, that to me, you're already a big tzaddik and a tzaddikist. You're just an eight-year-old version of that. So how do I relate to an eight-year-old version of a big tzaddik? Different than relating just to an eight-year-old kid. This is how we have to think of each other. This is the Avoid of Rishchai, this is the Avoid of Tu B'Shvat. That the distant future is real. But it doesn't just sit back, okay, I'll just wait for it to happen. No, no, no. You have, to, you, have to cult, you have to cultivate it and you have to bring it forward. But there's a difference between dealing with something and just looking at it as it is now versus seeing it as the unripened version of what it's going to be. And each one in their own lives to figure this out how to do that. And it's very, don't, don't get me wrong, you know. Uh, maybe talk to my wife about, about uh, or maybe don't, but like there's, uh, you know, when, when kids are, you know, acting like an eight-year-old, it's very hard to not just look at them like an eight-year-old. Or someone's acting like a 57-year-old eight-year-old. You know? It's also hard to look at them more than just a 57-year-old eight-year-old, right? But that's where Amunah comes from. That's where intuition comes from. That's where Rishchadish comes from. That's where Halim Rishchadish comes from. That's Tubishvat. We have to think bigger, to think, to think beyond, to see beyond, to see beyond. And that's the avoid of the day. No? So Hashem should bless each and every one of us, you know, that we should have good payers. To have nachas from ourselves, from our families, from the whole world, but and to and to look at ourselves in such a way as unripened fruit, and and just just a matter of time until those pears come. Shalvi zaycha to experience those pears in a real way, in a palpable way, with the sweetness of gula itself. Once again, I want to thank the Malons for opening your home. Really, Shem should bless you with good pears, and you should see all the pears in the future. You should be able to see them right now with all the mesikas.